Good evening, good evening, good night. We're doing a uh, a late night KG Fifa Wildcat and Doc podcast with special guest Charles Bishop. Brothers, how are you? Uh, how you doing there, Chris? I'm doing great. Doc, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm actually over here in St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. So you might hear the waves in the background. I'm on the balcony looking at the beach and the waves. So y'all please excuse me as I try to put in some work while I'm having a good time. And tell listeners the reason that you are in the Virgin Islands, sir. Yeah, I had the opportunity to come down here. A little bit of what I call business as well as uh, pleasure, I guess you would call it. First thing I start off on the pleasure part, I'm down here celebrating my uh, 15th anniversary with my lovely wife, Faith Washington. And so um, we're just celebrating this week. Thank you that we made 15 years. Congratulations. The second part was the business side where I actually met today with the um, athletic director, director of athletics at the University of Virgin Islands. It is the only HBCU outside of the continental U.S. And so I met with him just to talk about some efforts that we're doing and how can we help him in his efforts. He landed a job coming out of Talladega where he was the baseball coach and AD and then was formerly just the AD. Did some great work there. Really took the baseball program to a next level. And then as the AD, he was responsible for hiring the guy that took the basketball program to the final four at the NAIA level. So with a couple of players, oddly enough, from the Houston area, uh, including Jack H. High School. So he's done some tremendous work. He knows some same individuals I know with Dr. K.K. Baker Barnes out of Dillard. So we've uh, had some great conversation and Ultimately, he would like to see what we do and see about bringing us in as a consultant to the agency. So, excited about that. In the morning, I meet with the uh, associate provost of uh, international studies. And so, I think we got a lot going on. And then tomorrow, we, wife and I fly over to St. Croix because uh, it's a dual campus. So, meet with some officials over there, a uh, professor that teaches the history of... Um, the Virgin Islands and basically the Caribbean, so I'll meet with him to look at some potential partnerships on paper, and then we'll get in a little more fun in the sun, I guess you would say, after we kind of do some of that work. So that's essentially what took place there. We toured the uh, basketball facility. Many of you may have seen the facility when uh, on Paradise, Paradise Jams. It's a yeah. Yeah. event down there that is uh, now recently, I think, for, uh, broadcast on CBS Sports. You've seen some uh, Division One programs that come in and play, and they do it both for the women one week, and then the men another week around the Thanksgiving uh, time frame in November. So, uh, fine facility, uh, the best facility on the island, one of the best facilities throughout the Caribbean. They do a lot of events there. They actually had uh, Supreme Court judge today, uh, Judge Sotomayor. She was on campus today giving. So I got a chance to kind of sneak in there and see that. So that was a wonderful surprise to actually listen to a Supreme Court judge, one that was obviously nominated by uh, former President uh, Obama. So 
full trip already, and that was just literally day one. <laughs> That's because you're big time, Doc. <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to get it done. I'm trying to get it done, you and I've, as I've said to you before, I mentioned on, on podcast a few times, I truly appreciate what you add to the podcast, and I'm glad you are persistent enough in, in uh, getting me to, urging me to add you to the podcast. So you are much appreciated on these podcasts, so thank you uh, a great deal there. Well, you're certainly welcome, and I would like to thank you for taking the opportunity and taking the chance to bring me to the table and see what I could bring to the table and hopefully I'm living up to what I, the promise I gave you and the people and hoping they enjoy the information we provide about the business of sports and then even a new uh, look at HBCU sports hopefully that they may not have quite heard before. Charles, since you're a guest on the podcast and uh, you know potentially future guests on a consistent basis. I want to get your thoughts on, on the Rockets this season and this overall. Well, I think with the Rockets, I've been pleasantly surprised. I, I don't think uh, – I know I didn't see James Harden becoming uh, an MVP candidate, uh, but the, certainly the work that he's putting in, uh, he's right up there with Russell Westbrook and now uh, Isaiah Thomas. And and I, I'm just curious to see they, they really do match up I think if they're shooting the ball uh, well, they match up actually pretty good with the Golden State Warriors, as we've seen earlier this season with the victory over Golden State. But uh, James Harden is just taking his game to another level, and it'll be really interesting to see uh, after the All-Star break what the Rockets are able to do uh, and, and kind of continue that momentum in the second half of the season. Charles, don't don't do that to the Houston Rocket fans saying that. I know, I know. <laughs> But, but I, I have I, to ask you this, Charles. Do you believe he's the leading in? You said one of the MVP. Do you believe for those Rocket fans out there and NBA fans in general that Chris obviously provides great information for? Do you see him as the leading candidate? I take a look at uh, he and Russell Westbrook probably in the same class because if you take either one of them off of their team, I think it just collapses. So uh, it to me, it's it's a it's a one uh, it's a two man race. MVP going the rest of the way, and it's like uh, survival of the fittest. Who 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 does the most nightly? Who who triple doubles and who <laughs> who brings it on a nightly basis uh, as to who's going to be the MVP? Chris, we gonna welcome to the family the right way. You know you can't do it on this show. You got to pick one of two. Yeah, pick one, man. You got to pick one of all. You can't just you know sidestep. You got to pick one. I think James Harden is the MVP. I I, I think uh, I I definitely think. Uh, I, I, I'm just pleasantly surprised. I didn't think that he had the, the assist part in him. But to watch him set up and create uh, the rest of his teammates, I've just been blown away by the way he's uh, embraced this this Mike D'Antoni system. And, and the Rockets are, are a formidable opponent night in, night out. There you go. Now, welcome to the family. Now, we will say that this is early. So you do have the right to update what's going on throughout the season. But we're just saying at this point, yeah, and, oh, no. and tonight uh, Harden had 30 points, 8 assists, 11 rebounds, and the Rockets road win over Charlotte, uh, I think of 107-95. But that 30 points, 11 rebounds, that's the 44th double-double for Harden this season. Rockets have played, I think, 56 games, so that's 44 out of 56. 
thus far. It's the most in the That's stats. St the stats, according to the NBA Twitter account, is no guard has led the league in double doubles for an entire season since John Stockton did it 20 plus years ago. So wow. Harden is putting on a show, and then to to uh, not be left out of the discussion, Russell Westbrook picked up his 26th triple double tonight leading OKC over LeBron and the Cavaliers, which kind of surprised me. So, 26 triple-doubles for Russ, 44 double-doubles for Harden. Charles says, Harden for MVP. I'm going to say Russ for MVP. So, Doc, you break the tiebreaker as of February 9th, 2017. Who you got? What? Say that again, I missed who you got for trip for MVP? I got Russ. Charles got Harden. As of today, who you got? As of today, I'm gonna go with Harden. You know, it's hard for me to pick against Russ, but like you said, I got to get pick one of them, and you can't go both of them. So at this point, I'm gonna lean and uh, go with the Houston Rockets. Harden. I think he's been doing it a little more consistently throughout his numbers, not just the double. I mean, the triple double. Uh, obviously he has more of them but the fact that um, I think he's just been stellar and his team has a better record so I think that says something so I'm going to go with Harden and I think I think Harden will win the MVP because I do, I do believe the Rockets will finish with a better record than OKC and that probably will yeah. be a, a deciding factor for many of the NBA voters they'll go with the, the team with a better record be Definitely that. I, I agree with you on that. Too. All right, Doc, Charles, i got some information I want to share with you that I read uh, two days ago, courtesy of John Wilner from the West Coast. He covers the Pac-12, does a great job covering the Pac-12. He has some information, an article about the growing revenue gap that the Pac-12 is experiencing compared to the SEC and the Big Ten. <clears throat> the SEC announced their their financials for the 2015-2016 fiscal year and the SEC per team distributed $40 million to each <laughs> member school. Four wow. zero, forty million million per school. Wow. The Pac-12 is roughly $25 million. So that's a $15 million gap right now. And this is just an estimate. And um, we have the Big Ten is going to renegotiate next year. So the gap is going to grow because, as, we, as Doc has discussed a few times, the Pac-12 has a different financial model than the other conferences where they don't share anything. And, and all 12 schools, member schools, share in the production and share in, in all the money and and so I don't see the the gap shrinking. I think the Big 12 and the ACC are facing the same dilemma that uh, the SEC and the Big 10 are going to continue to get more and more money. So what can, is there anything that these other conferences can do? Because also, Charles, you're new to this, but we've already said that the Big 12 is a dead school, dead conference walking. Just a matter of time before they implode and everybody goes their separate ways. So, 
what can these other conferences do to to uh, now the gap, the growing gap, the widening gap that seems to be occurring now and in the future? Well, that, that was actually a question I was going to ask in terms of with the Big 12 being a kind of dead conference walking, would not the Pac-12 look at, at, at possibly absorbing some of these schools that, that are you know currently in the Big 12 that uh, could possibly add to the cachet of the Big 12 uh, of the Pac-12, I should say. I think uh, from a business perspective, it's no doubt that the Pac-12 would look at um, seeing if it can do it. In fact, if we go back and look at history, we know that that was really close when they looked at Texas. Texas Tech basically were the schools Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So there's no doubt in my mindset that that is the case. But what makes that a little more challenging is the politics that are in Texas. And while the politics have pulled some degree by allowing Texas A&M and Texas to separate with Texas A&M going to SEC, as we know is the history, and ultimately the Big 12 getting, I mean, Texas getting a huge deal shortly before that essentially kept them in the pack, in the Big 12. Um, I think that's the scenario because people don't necessarily realize but the Big 12 office is in Dallas, Texas. So a lot of that politics behind the deal is the state of Texas and central uh, part of the United States really does not want to go without a big-time Power 5 conference embedded in their state. So if Texas would leave to the Pac-12, obviously the office is in L.A. And then with the SEC, A&M going to the SEC and that office in Atlanta, that leaves this area vacant. So I think that's going to be what is going to be really troubling to see if politically they can get that done. Uh, they were all ready to give U of H and another team essentially the expansion to try to uh, make sure that Big 12 survived at least at the short term and then TV came in and kind of squashed that. So there's a lot of parallels that are going out there. I think there's one conference that we do need to add into the two that we talked about with the Big Ten in the SEC, which is the ACC. We recall just last year they signed that significant deal with the ACC. And with their football programs taking the next step, uh, Florida State obviously a couple of years ago, and then now Clemson moving to the top and what they did in terms of bowl season really says that the ACC is ascending quite fast. And their deal, their deal is gonna put them on the par, which now makes it even more troubling for the Pac-12 than Big uh, 12. So what you're saying may find a way to happen a little faster than not, ultimately, because the numbers and the finances would dictate so. But it'll be interesting to kind of keep your eye on does the finance really dictate what's going on or does the politics win out? And, you know, it's a good point. The ACC football, we got Florida State and Clemson, and I believe they had a, the conference had a better bowl record among their participating schools in the SEC did, they've definitely narrowed the, the gap with Florida and, and Clemson closing in on, on Alabama as the cream of the crop. You know, obviously, clearly Alabama has another, had a, another recruiting class, stellar number one recruiting class last week. So they're going to continue raking in the talent. But Florida State, I think, was top five. Clemson was top 10, top 15. So the talent 
is going to continue going at those three schools. You got the arms race, and you got all the the bells and whistles going on in the, with the weight rooms and the facilities and all these things that the schools are using to get the what is it, Doc? The student athletes. I mean, the athlete students to <laughs> sign with the programs. The college athletes, the uh, not quite professionals, semi-pros, or whatever you want to call it. There you go. So it's, it's, it's big-time athletics. You know, one of the reasons that one of the scenarios that Doc and I kicked around on previous podcasts is the Pac-12 inviting U of H, the University of Houston, to join as a member. I think it would make a lot of sense. We think it would make a lot of sense for the Pac-12 to get into Central Time Zone and have a footprint in Texas. It, in, all, in some circles, it makes almost too much sense not to be here, not to add um, U of H. If you wanted to, you know, add Texas, whatever. Texas has a Longhorn network, so that, roll that into the equation with the Pac-12 network would be an issue. But I just think the Pac-12, they want to at least at some point decrease the, the revenue gap. They would have to expand in, in the Texas. Chris, let me let me let me ask this question in terms of uh, that gap. How much does a, I guess, for lack of better words, a lack of college football fervor on the West Coast uh, hurt the Pac-12? I don't. It it hurts because in in terms of eyeballs on TV and streaming and things of that sort. But as the Pac-12 will be fine as long as USC is fine. Ah. USC is a national program, national brand. They started right. turning things around mid part of the season, the end of the season on a high note, winning the winning the bowl game with a great comfort behind victory. So if USC is fine, they'll get the national exposure. But clearly, with the late starts on Saturdays, the Eastern Time Zone, Eastern Riders, East Coast Riders don't get a chance to watch those games, so it'll hurt, and that's never going to change. But you have USC playing at 7 o'clock or 2.30, it won't be much as much of an issue with USC back in national prominence. So as long as USC is fine, Pac-12 will be okay in terms of eyeballs. But in terms of growing, they got to do something else. Interesting perspective there. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I totally agree. A couple days ago, yesterday, the Big 12 Board of Directors voted unanimously to withhold 25% of future revenue distribution payments to Baylor University, pending the outcome of a third-party verification of required changes to Baylor's athletics procedures and to institutional governance of its athletic programs. That sounds really severe. It sounds really severe, but as soon as Baylor proves that they have met those requirements, they get the money back. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's pretty slick. <laughs> that was nice legalese, but what did he really do? <laughs> but in, in, it's like I said, it sounds great. I think last, over the weekend, another Baylor official was arrested in a prostitution ring. Um, you got more cases and more legal issues coming out. We didn't discuss it, I think, what, a 
couple weeks ago, Arbaros dropped his, his suit against Baylor, and then what the very next day, the Chronicle released um, text messages from Arbaros to players or coaches of Baylor administration, seemingly indicating Arbaros had more, knew more than he let on previously. So, Baylor's a mess. And the Big 12 doing this little revenue slap on the wrist. It sounds good. Ultimately, there are some who believe Baylor should f get rid of athletics on the Division One level. That sounds wow. good too. Not gonna happen. Yeah, right. we know that's not gonna happen. Right. That that's that's out. <laughs> so, but it's a black eye on the conference. It's a black eye at Baylor. It's a black eye in Waco. And really, the NCAA hasn't even gotten involved because with how they mishandled the Penn State disaster. The NCAA doesn't want to get involved in this at all. We'll leave it up to the courts and let the legal system handle it. So not much is going to happen. It, you know, I think more lawsuits, lawsuits will take place. Baylor may suffer more in the public eye, but they're not going to go anywhere. So, my, my, my go ahead. My question would be, uh, with all that has gone on, why would we not be looking at uh, a potential death penalty sort of situation for Baylor? Well, and, and once, I guess, in this sense, the rape accusations and the rape culture that seemingly was at Baylor is inducted add your thoughts on this, it's more of a legal problem where rather than an NCAA problem. Yeah, certainly. It's a it's a legal problem whether you're talking about from a criminal component or from the Fed component with Title Nine. Uh, the problem you have with athletics is that it becomes a branding problem, which means it becomes a finance problem. And so that's why you start to see um so much concern by these different organizations because what they're doing and their attachment to being in the Big 12 of the NCA is calling, creating a branding problem for those organizations as well as Baylor. And if you know anything about when problems exist, you know, they always tell you to get ahead of it, move on, but um, the deeper you dig and more things come out, the more exacerbated this problem seems to be. So every time Baylor tries to do something to say, all right, we're moving forward, yes, we were bad guys, we clean all that out, then you find out that the hole that they had was deeper than what they admitted to. So now they have to try to find a way to get around it. And then you have little incidents popping up, such as the strength coach uh, getting caught up in alleged uh, sting of undercommerce uh, sexual request, so prostitution. So those things continue to damage the brand. And so <laughs> Baylor's in one of those positions where um, they just can't get out of their own way. And I mean that very um, face forward because we actually are talking about women. But I think we also have to be cognizant and careful that we're not so much talking about the brand and football and sports, that we also understanding that we're talking about human individuals, women in particular, 
uh, from what all sides of circumstance were violated and violated in the worst way. And so I think in a lot of ways we need to make sure that we keep that in the forefront, that this mm-hmm. is not just about Baylor trying to fix what's going on or the Big 12 trying to get right so they can go about their normal way of, of what I often say is exploiting players, uh, which is a whole other conversation, as well as the NCAA. Uh, and so that's what, what, is, what this big picture is about. And as long as you have the NCAA trying to create what they want to call now the college model, which is kind of birthed out of the amateur model and not really providing some finances more ado in the framework of a true business model similar to what you have in a professional level, I think you're going to continue to see these things go out because people are operating on one side of the business with that framework, and so they do a lot of these things, and when they cut corners versus being able to do it at the top, they end up uh, having themselves in positions where they're doing even more egregious harm when the truth is found out versus if they went ahead and went on board and found a way to compensate these young men in the sport of football and basketball. And and to add to that, the NCAA may, not, may be leery of getting involved because if, despite this being the ultimate lack of institutional control in the football program, mm-hmm. Really, what can they do? Because they can't. Yeah, and, and they have—they've shown that they could do something quite uh, challenging. Because we can go back to the case study of what they did to Penn State. We also need to remember, uh, recall that while some people thought it was appropriate, there was a lot more buzz about people thinking that the NCAA overstepped their bounds. Right. That was not really the side that they should be be on. Even those that thought what Penn State did was egregious, not including me, but a lot of the news media pundits were out there saying that NCAA did get it right. So I think they're still trying to figure out, you know, do we do what we think is right in terms of vindicating these people and really put the pressure on Baylor, uh, where if we do that, people are going to say, well, you know, you're still overstepping your bounds, or do we try to move back from that a little bit and learn our lesson? and kind of let this play out. So in this case, while you know a lot of times I have concern with the NCAA about what they do, I think in this case they are really in a precarious position uh, in terms of their ultimate decision. Should they act or should they not act? How much should they act if they do act as well? And who are you, sir? Mr. Virgin Islands? (laughs) Yes, I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, the sports professor of Texas Southern University, and currently sitting on the balcony looking over the beach in starlight gazing as the waves are pounding on the sand. <laughs> How can folks find you on the internet? I'm partaking in because we're on the radio. How can folks find you on the internet? Doc? Yeah, uh, you can find me on the internet at www.thg-agency.com. You can find what we do in terms of the business consulting. If you want some of that information, you can find that on there. 
You can also find information about some of the programs we put together in terms of HBCU Art, an annual conference that looks at the athletic business side of HBCU athletic programs to be succinct. And the Big Ben Cavill Senior HBCU Football Award, which is the annual award given to the best player coming out of Texas um, that plays at HBCU. So they can either be born in the state, went to a high school in the state, or obviously if they're from out of state, as long as they play for HBCU in state, but they have to have that HBCU connection. Then you can go get the poll update that we do oftentimes give you, whether it's for football, the top 10 mid-major and major division, as well as basketball, men's and women top five in terms of the major and mid-major division. And uh, do you want to give a little mention of HBU update, HBCU update real quick? Certainly. We'd love to do that. Uh, let me give you a tease to some degree and give you the top three, not the top five. We'll give you the top three um, in terms of that. You go to the website, THG-Agency, to get the entire top five. But you look at the top three, we go with Benedict Tigers out of the SIEC and the women's. They actually jumped into the top five, so they started at number three. We're not ranked last week, bringing us to number two. Talladega Tornado sitting at 15 and 7, 6 and 0. Oh. They remain in number two, two first place votes as they follow up from Benedict Tigers at a 15 and 7 and 11 and 1, uh, playing some very good basketball, surprising a lot of people out of the SIEC. Bringing us to number one. Nobody surprised at this at this point. Virginia Union Panthers continue to roll, sitting at 20-1, 11-1 in the conference race out of the CIAA with six first-place votes. They remain number one, and they continue to get it done. Let's look at the mid-major for the men's basketball program. Top three programs. Nobody fouls out of the top five, but the awesome teams changing in terms of the top three. At number three, Wiley Wildcats, 20-4, 9-3. They take two <coughs> tough losses this past weekend, so they fall from number one to number two. So we'll have a new number one team. Keep listening so I can give it to you. And number two, Virginia Union Panthers, 18-5, 10-1. ranked four, so they jump up two spots as they are number two in the land with a big win over their rival, Virginia State Trojans, that fall from number two to number four. I'll sneak that in there for you. But at number one, Dillon Blue Devils, 17-5, 8-0. They improve out of the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. They get it done. Told you a little bit the AD down there, Dr. Keith Baker Barnes. She has the teams playing some good basketball, both on the men's and women's side. As you're doing it, boy, I just had a nice little breeze come out here. So, uh, <laughs> get a smile. That's what that was about. Let's go to the major division for the women in terms of the top three programs on the major division side. Sitting at number three, we have another team that fell for number one. That is the Hampton Pirates sitting at 14 and 9, 82. They fall two spots. And it looks like they may have a tough time as they lost their last two games. And a lot of that has to do with they have lost their best player in the league score for the season with a major injury. We'll keep you updated on how that is going. Bringing us to number two. With Thorne Cookman Wildcats, 12-9, 8-1. They seem like to be the leader of the pack. They played well all season and with the injury to the Lady Pirates. It'll be interesting to see. Can the Bethune Cookman Wildcats get it done? They move up one spot from number three to number two. Bring us to number one, Texas Southern Lady Tigers. The Tigers of Texas Southern University regained that number one spot after letting it go of a couple of weeks to the Hampton Pirates. They are now 14-7, 8-2. They had a big win over their rival this past weekend, Prairie View. 
That was after getting a big win over Alabama State that was sticking up and playing some good basketball. So the Lady Texas Southern Tigers jump up to number one after being number two uh, for the last couple of weeks. Let's go to the major division for the men as we kind of close up on this top three of the top five program. Surprising a lot of people this year is number three, Alcorn State Braves. I guess if you continue to do it at some point, it shouldn't be surprised. They're 11-11 on the season, 8-3 in the conference race, sitting behind Texas Southern, and who is number two. But the Alcorn State Braves move up one spot, while the Texas Southern Tigers remain number two, sitting at 13-10 and 9-1. And they also put a beat down on their rival, Kirby A&M. And this is coming from uh, from behind on at home, as Prairie did jump out of in that game, but couldn't hold on to the lead as the Tigers just slowly walked him down. Bringing us to number one is North Carolina Central Eagles sitting at 17-6, 5 first place votes. They remain number one. Those Eagles are soaring, and they're playing some good basketball as they had a significant win this past weekend over Morgan State Bears. Both teams entered into the conference game with one loss. North Carolina Central has seven wins, while Morgan State has six. But the Eagles soared as they went on the road and got it done against the Morgan State Bears. It was a great game, both contests before win by the Eagles. And with that win, they hold the number one spot and remain number one as they're playing some very good basketball. And they seem to get ready for March Madness. Who will go dancing for the HBCU basketball programs in the mid-major and major division? We shall see. And you, Dr. Cavill, will definitely keep you updated. Appreciate that, Doc. Charles. Yes. What's on your brain? Talk something out there. <clears throat> well, I, I think that this past weekend, it was a great, great atmosphere. Texas Southern Prairie View, they locked horns uh, at the HPE. And uh, like Doc said, Texas Southern. Uh, they were down early to Prairie View, but they slowly walked them in, and we both kind of said, you know, you just kind of have to wait on that run with Texas Southern, and sure enough, it came, and uh, Texas Southern is playing some great ball right now. Uh, he mentioned the Alcorn State, early surprise thus far this season. They're really getting it done, really enjoying the swag basketball. It's, uh, we, we touched on a little bit on, on, on Dr. Fields inside the HBCU Sports Lab uh, in terms of the parity. Uh, that we've seen thus far in the swag thus far. Uh, nobody's really running away, but uh, Texas Southern looks to be the cream of the crop thus far. I want to touch in real quick on uh, Rice and U of H and HBU. The, uh, U of H won last night in New Orleans, beating Tulsa in a route, 91-62. As Cougars, Damian Dotson scored a career-high 32 points. He's really caught fire these last few games and helped carry U of H's offense. Tonight, the HBU men beat Northwestern State on the road, 86-69. That's uh, Wildcats' nephew plays for Northwestern State, Zeke Woodley. But the Huskies got it done and, and defeated the Demons up there on the road. And the Rice Owls picked up a, a, a road win, blocked 10 shots, uh, defeating Florida International. So it's like all the team, local teams won these last couple of days. Go back to Saturday with THU beating Prairie View. HBU winning tonight. Rice winning tonight. Rockets winning tonight. Cougs won last night. So maybe we're in the basketball business for at least for a few days. You yeah, know. All, is, all is well in the basketball world until you go up to New York. 
Boy, that's a mess oh, up there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The Knicks and Charles Oakley drama and Phil Jackson, <laughs> Carmelo Anthony drama. And the Knicks are an embarrassment. I mean, that's that's. <laughs> that's just sad. I mean, yeah, it is. The, it's horrible to see. The, the tweet that the PR team put out there saying, "Child, we hope Charles Oakley get some help." What in the yeah, hell? That, that was sad. Yeah, and it didn't make no, didn't make any sense, I should say. And um, Dolan is just showing who he is in many different ways. Obviously, put this out here first, Oakley. Uh, you shouldn't put your hands on anybody, but you can definitely tell uh, when it comes down to what was being said that I believe his side of the story. Uh, that uh, Dolan doesn't like the way Oakley speaks on the New York Knicks, and he decided to show that who's the king of the castle. And he All put right. him out, and Oakley was like, uh, well, yeah, I might go out, but I'm going uh, to make sure everybody knows what's going on. And ultimately, uh, while it uh, definitely didn't look good for Oakley, I think the bigger picture in a lot of ways New York Knicks, uh, with all the problems they have, that it actually shines even a worse light on the organization, especially behind what Jackson did with the tweet that tried to later cover it up in a lot of ways that it was misunderstood. I'm not sure how it was misunderstood other than him doing something that many people have really called him to the carpet for doing. And then you have an NBA member that says team need to cool it on the Twitter war. So I guess uh, for us in the media, it might get a little boring from that side of the world in terms of Twitter. In that part of it. The other thing that we have to talk about the NBA is particularly on the business side uh, is a huge statement. When you look at Golden State Warriors, Stephon Curry stepping out there when he was asked a question about no, I mean, we can't ignore that. That is significant in the changing of the guard in a lot of ways, not for just Stephon, but just in general with athletes coming out. You had the New England Patriots after uh, Martellus Bennett? Were, yeah, Martellus Bennett. And a couple of other New England players saying openly that they're not going to the White House. They don't believe that they're uh, wanted there. So I think that makes a lot of statement that athletes are starting to come up in terms of that. I think it goes a long way to also let you know that athletes are not just part of the brand, but I think this needs to be stated out here that the relationship with athletes has changed a lot of about that they are embedded within the brand and not just high paid, high paid advertisement. That um, that the brand is so synonymous with each other and their brand is so high is that they have a lot more power in terms of how they want to be associated with the brand. And so you've seen the CEO walk it back saying, well, you know, I was just talking about the business side. I mean, I think that's a huge statement. And when you go and look at the numbers, you can see why. The fact being that Stephon Curry actually is uh, worth $4. billion to the Under Armour brand in terms of his association. Not necessarily what he's getting to him, but what he's simply leveraging his name and his skill uh, to the table and what is worth the Under Armour. And when you have that type of power and you die, decide to utilize it, I think it is significant. So I think that's something to continue to keep your eyes on as things continue to move forward. I tell you what's interesting about that, Doc, uh, to follow up on your point, uh, Misty Copeland came out today and, and made a similar uh, statements uh, in regards to not being happy with uh, Under Armour's uh, CEO. Uh, and I think what was even more interesting to me is the, the silence from 
uh, another Under Armour endorser, Cam Newton. So uh, you, you, you have one side with Steph and the completely opposite side with Cam thus far. Yeah, I, I definitely think that is interesting. And it goes in a lot of ways. We see the polarization and the freedom and the power that basketball has in compared to football. And just how one sport is more attuned with the age of the brand, those culturally associated with the brand, not just with the person, but even with the sport versus what you see in the NFL. So I think that's another duopoly that we need to keep our eyes on is the, the framework of which sport and people associate with the sport. How much voice do they have and, and what does that mean? Also, the other component is to talk about those that are not African-American. We ask for them to speak up or not speak up and question whether they do and don't. But you have a lot of European-Americans or whites uh, that don't necessarily speak up uh, one way or the other. Not So I think that is also intriguing when you talk about that component. And I think it really talks about in this space is that sports in a lot of ways uh, is a political elite strives to be that unless it is a positive move for the sport moving together trying to show how sports bring people together well i think uh president trump is so polarizing right wrong or indifferent is the fact that people feel the need that they have to speak up because he just polarized the country in in that manner not necessarily just in terms of his business framework but on his rhetoric in terms of what he says in terms of how he pushes policy really has shaped the voice of a nation in one way that totally supports him and another way that totally does not support him so that's something to continue to keep your eyes on when we look at literally just the first hundred days with federal courts uh making mandates uh, in terms of moving forward uh imagine what's going to take place over the next four years it will be a very intriguing world at this point and let me say as of this podcast a total of five New England Patriots players have said they're not going to the White House to attend the White House uh, LeGarrette Blunt, wow. Chris Long Martellus Bennett Dante Hightower and Dev McCourty and uh, wow correct me if I'm wrong Chris Long is 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 not one of us Right. right. That would be correct. Right. Yes. Right. But you got to remember, Long was one of the first people that spoke out uh, a while back. And people gave him a lot of credit for it. So he's continuing to sustain the framework in terms of what he does. And credit for him to doing that. Uh, because it's not necessarily easy. And more importantly, he doesn't have to be protected in a lot of ways. And so this really is resonating with him in regards to his feelings. Uh, and his core values and I, I think that is tremendous when somebody uh, that doesn't necessarily have to make this statement uh, makes this statement and and I'm sure those five players have already received stick to stick to sports comments from from people who disagree or or however you want to spin it right. they're doing what they believe is right yeah Right. I, I think that's the easy way out in Cowboys. We've seen that play a lot of the ways. And when people don't like what you have to say, that's their go-to bag is stick to sports. But I think uh, as I was at a 
panel discussion that I was at Texas Southern University this past week and doing the Super Bowl week, providing information, as well as the um, panel that I was on at U of H, that one of the gentlemen says is, why shouldn't we have a voice? We pay taxes. We have kids. We have wives. So we feel emotionally and we're invested just like any other citizen. We just happen to play football. So we go through the same pain, the same struggles uh, in regards to how we live our life, whether it's uh, directly and directly with friends, family, mothers, uh, daughters, uh, and, and brothers and sisters in regards to that. So I think um, that is the perfect way that I would say that we need to look at it as that. Um, when you have, again, somebody that's so polarized that I don't think it's very easy just to stick to sport. In fact, when you look at President Donald Trump, is the fact that he pushes sports. He was one of the first ones that associated himself with the Patriots and Brady. Uh, until Brady led and put the hat on, he tried to distance himself. But he, uh, again, was the one that put that up there with Belichick. So he's the one that pushes that. So if he can push it from that side and they have that association, I think it's only fair for folks that do not necessarily have his views uh, have the ability to stand up and speak as well. And keep in mind, listeners, that Tom Brady turned out an invitation to see President Obama in, in the White House. So, so uh, you know, it's not like it's one-sided. So don't get that twisted. Don't let don't let one one um, one side tell you the story and not the other. It has to be brought up. It has to be something that people are reminded of, reminded of, because they will quickly forget. As you talk about, it, as they tell you and saying this is not right, you need support. But people didn't have the same vigor, vigor, I should say, as when Tom Brady did it. So what is the association? What is the problem? Why does that exist? We need to take a deeper and quicker look. And more personally, as individuals, if we're true about trying to get better as people and as a country, we need to do self-reflection and ask ourselves, why is that the case? Very good point, yes. Very good point, and I think we're going to... Wrap it up there. Charles, real quick, how can folks find you on, on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at C-H-A-R-L-E-S-B-I-S-H-1953. That's at Charles Bish 1953. Oh, thank you very much for uh, for guesting this evening, Charles and Doc. Thank you very much for taking time out of your work, play time in the Virgin Islands for this Sir, podcast. I apologize for the... Uh the crashing waves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't. I had to do that to you. <laughs> no, nah, no, you don't. It's all right. It's, a, it's all good. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You may be surprised. I might send you some pictures about the way it looks so you can make sure that when you make your trip this way, you'll know what to look forward to. Yeah, it's like he's a travel agent now, Charles. Hear that now? He's just expanding all his, his skills. <laughs> exactly. And, and I'm wrapping up. I'm KG, Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review. Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram. Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube. www.houstonroundballreview.com We can uh, follow the podcast on SoundCloud, Pod Directory iTunes links on the, the uh, KG 
Fifth of Wildcat and Doc Facebook page. Post this on uh, Twitter. I'm going to tag uh, the brothers on that link, and I'll post it uh, hopefully within uh, an hour or so. You can tweet it and retweet it and listen to it yourself. So, thank you very much for your time. Gonna wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.